We're going to be in uh, John chapter 15 for most of the message today, if you've got your Bibles and want to turn there. But we're going to continue our series under construction, and we are under construction. Um, God's doing the things that we've been looking forward to have happen here, but we're also feeling the pains of living in a renovation. How many of you have lived through a renovation in your house? A lot of fun, right? <laughs> it's, it's challenging. It's stretching. It's going to be a good time, but God's going to do great things through it. Um, but we got to get through it as well. And so I just encourage you, bring your flexible attitude, and we're going we're gonna to be adjusting over the next couple weeks to losing some normal entries and trying to figure out how we come in and, and what the plan is. But it's going to be awesome, and it's all going to be worth it, and God's going to do great things through this. Amen? Okay, I need you to stay with me today. We're going we're gonna to hang out and spend some time together, so don't be shy. We're going to keep talking. Um, this morning's sermon is titled Divine Design. Divine design. God has a divine design for your life. He's got a plan for you and a purpose for you, and he's got great things for you. And as, we, as I thought about that, it got me thinking about this project, the building project, and, and I've, I've had the privilege of kind of heading it up and being our point of contact here at the church with the, the company, construction company Aspen that we've been working with. And we've been working with them for about two and a half years now that this process has been happening to get us to this point where we're starting to, to demo some things. And, and we got to look at a lot of different design concepts when we were, you know, a couple years ago. A, a bunch of you maybe were a part of some, some table groups upstairs in the Impact Building. We got to share who Abundant Life Church was with them so they knew what our heart was and what our hope was. And as a part of some of those meetings, they asked us, what things need to happen in this project for it to feel like a win, for it to be a win. Like, what are the must-haves that have to happen here? And so we talked about it, and we made a big, long bunch of lists, and, and all of those lists, we put them together, and we came to three things that this project has to include for us to say, yes, this was a success. We did the things we needed to do. And the first one was we needed to add more seating. We've, we've talked about this before. We're pretty full here today. Usually during, during the wintertime, we're quite full. And there's this 80% principle that we kind of came across where it said once a room is 80% full, it no longer feels welcoming to someone who's there for the first time. We said that's a problem because we don't ever want our space to not feel welcoming to someone. So we said, we, and, and we noticed we kind of would bump right against that 80% number in our attendance and, and we, we wouldn't really jump above it consistently. And we said, we got we to gotta do something about that. We want to add some more seating. That was priority one. The second one was we need a foyer. We need an air-conditioned foyer. Can I get an amen for that? Because, man, the patio is fantastic for like three months out of the year, but we have church 12. So we said we got to do something about that. We need a, a foyer space that we can just gather and we can be family and we can have snacks and spend time together. We need a foyer space. Also, the hope was to connect the kids' building to this building with that foyer space so that they're not next door, but they're in the building with us. So that was priority two, was an air-conditioned foyer, not just a foyer, but an air-conditioned one. Just we wanted to make sure that they knew the AC was an important part. The third thing was we need space for our youth. Our middle school, you know, you saw all of them just head out. They're outgrowing the chapel that they use out back. They're, they're loaded in there. And then on Wednesday nights, they're in the worship room in the impact building, and they're outgrowing that space too, and they need more space. And we said we, we need more space for our youth. 
And so those three things were the main drivers of how we would design this building and what we would come to and what the solution would be is we have to answer those three problems, three challenges with the design. So then we got to the design, and Aspen started sending us different concepts. Some of them included staying in this room and blowing some walls out that way, or maybe turning the room sideways and, and, and kind of expanding this way. And what would that look like? And those were great ideas and, and, and got us thinking about some cool things, but it didn't really answer the, the problem of where our kids are going to go, where the middle school would be, where's the room for the youth. And so then we started talking about building an auditorium out there, and what if we use this space for a foyer? We said we could cut it down, we could change it, and entry from, from here, and we thought, ah, it puts the entry on the back of the building. That's kind of weird. It's, it's not really a priority for those three things, but we don't really want a front entry in the back of the building. And that was strange. And so then we got to the concept where we're at, and, and what we decided to do was to add the auditorium out front and to save this space for youth and to save this as a gym, not to cut into it, not to shrink it in any way, but to save it as large as it is. And so I always tell people, I said, in this project, we're getting a new auditorium and we're getting a new foyer, and then we get a gym for free because we already got it. And so, so we can't forget that. Like, the youth are going to use this. We're going to be able to use this. I can't wait to play some air-conditioned pickleball in here at some point. I think I'll lead that semester small group, or we'll have several of them. God's going to do some awesome things in our property and I believe 100% that the concept that we've got and what we're building is the best thing for us. And it fits the vision of who we are as a church. And God's going to do great things because of that. Because we've been intentional about what we're doing here. And the same thing is true of our God. He is an intentional God. You are not a clump of cells that just showed up and came together and now you're a person and now you have to go and figure out life on your own. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he's got great things in store for you. And that message flies in the face of what we hear from the world out there, right? That you're, you're your own person and you can find your happiness and you can do what you want to do and you just figure it out on your own and you make your truth happen. But the truth is God created you. God intended for something for you and he's got a plan for your life. But the challenge is we've got to submit to his plan. And to who he is. So we're going to talk about that this morning. The first thing in your notes that you need to know is that I am planned for. I am planned for. Jeremiah 29, 11. John spoke a couple weeks ago and he talked on this verse and God didn't tell me about that till after I built the notes. So now we're talking on it again, but that's okay. You needed to hear it evidently. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a hope and a future. And anytime I look at a passage of scripture, I always want to say, all right, who was who this to? Who was he writing this to? And we know that Jeremiah was writing to the exiled Jews. They were taken out of, e out of Egypt, out of Israel, out of their homeland. For years and years and years, they had been not following God's ways. They had been doing things their own way. They had been following idols and, and worshiping the gods of other nations around them. And God sent prophet after prophet to say, stop what you're doing. Come back to me. Come back to the old, come back to what I've taught you. But they didn't do it. And so finally God said, that's enough. And God sent Babylon, and Babylon conquered them, took them over and spread them out, took them over to Babylon. And in that moment, Jeremiah is writing to these exiled Jews who are feeling far from God, far from their land, far from their temple where God resides. They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling punished. They're feeling pretty hopeless. And he gives this encouragement he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Now that word plans is actually kind of interesting. The King James Version uses the word thoughts 
It says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. I was like, oh, I like that. Like, God doesn't just have a plan for me, and then he puts it in his bin of plans that he has for all of us, and then he says, hope they follow it. But he sees me, and he knows me, and he thinks thoughts towards me, and he has hopes for me, and they're good things. But I've got to choose whether I'm going to follow those or not. I've got to make that choice. And so for Israel in this moment, they're far from God. They don't feel like God has good plans for them. Have you ever felt like God doesn't have a good plan for you? Have you ever walked through something and you're like, God, there's no way good can come from this. God, there's no way that, that you can do anything about this. This is hopeless. God reminds Israel in this moment, it's not. That he has a good plan for them. Now, his original plan was not for them to end up there, right? God didn't, that wasn't God's heart. God's heart was, I'm going to put you in this land, this promised land that I've given to you. And you're going to be there, and we're going to build a temple, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be amongst my people, and this is where we will be. But Israel didn't submit to that plan. And Israel chose to make their own way and to do it their way. And so God sent warning after warning, and he sent opportunity after opportunity. And I think when I study this, I often think, oh, Israel, you're so stupid. But then, of course, we step back, and I, and I think about my life, and I think, oh, I'm, I'm pretty stupid too. God sends me warning after warning and, and encouragement after encouragement to, to change, to surrender, to give up, and to trust, and to do all those things. And I struggle with it too, just as much as they did. Because we're people, and we're prone to do that. And so in this moment, God reminds them, I have thoughts for you, and they are good thoughts, and they are thoughts of peace for a hope and a future. And so as we look at what God did through Israel we can step back and have a little perspective, right? Like when we read the Bible stories, if, if you just stop right here and you think, well, Israel's exiled and, you know, you think God's abandoned them. God, how can anything good come from that? But as we look back, we recognize that what God did was he was actually preparing the way for the gospel message when Israel was exiled. Because what they did is they were taken from their homeland where they were like this, and they were just in Israel. And God took them and they spread out as they went. And then God said, build synagogues. Worship me where you're at. Grow your families. Grow, grow this nation in Babylon. And one day, I'll return you back. And so as they did, they built these synagogues, these small churches. They weren't the temple, but they were these small places of worship. And people began to hear about who the Jews were, and they began to hear about what God did and how God brought them out of Egypt. And so now this God that they had never heard of became a little more familiar. And then you know what happened when the early church started to grow? The enemy... And those against them decided, we're going to squash them. We're going to persecute them. So the early church becomes persecuted. And what do they do? They go. And where do they go? To these synagogues, to these places that God had set up years ago, to these Jews that were ready to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus. And so God used this horrible situation, and he brought good out of it. Now, now the, the Israelites in that moment, of course, they weren't sitting there thinking, well, this is all worth it, and this is all good, and I'm so glad that we're doing this. No, it was hard. But God is still faithful to bring good out of any situation. And in this example, he prepared the way for the gospel. And he prepared a place for his early church to spread out and to go and to preach. And because of that, a movement started, and it's continued, and it's still going to this day, and it's his church and that's why we're here. God is faithful to bring good out of anything that you're walking through. The question is, will you trust him? And will you allow him to work or not? And so this morning, 
The second point that we look at and we have to remember in those moments of challenge is that I am cared for. I am cared for. So John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're in the upper room. They're, they've had the last supper. He's, he's kind of giving them the last bit of anything teaching he can give them to prepare them for when he's gone. And this is what he says in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. And so Jesus, in calling himself the true grapevine, see, Israel used to be called the vine. Israel was referenced as this vine of God, and so, so your identity as a Jew was found in your connection to Israel, and that's why, that's why being exiled was such a terrible thing for the Jews. And so your identity was in your connection to Israel. And what Jesus said in this moment was, no longer. Your identity is no longer in Israel. It's in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine. He is making a messianic claim here. He is saying, I am the Messiah that was prophesied. It's me. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, it's not about Israel anymore, but your connection to God is now through me. Okay? But in that same statement of kind of elevating himself, or sounding like it, Jesus is submitting to God. He says, I'm the grapevine, but he's the gardener. He, it, it's his garden. I'm just the vine in the garden. And so in this moment, Jesus is showing surrender and submission to God. And part of that is because he knows what he's about to ask of his disciples, and in turn, what he asks of us. Is that just as Jesus is submitting to God, we're called to submit to him. Jesus led by example, a perfect example. And that's what he asks of us. So Jesus says, I am the grapevine, and my father is the gardener. And then he continues, and he says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Now, maybe you're asking, wait a minute, Steve, that doesn't sound very cared for. That sounds kind of mean, right? Like, that shows this picture of God walking around with a machete, just hacking away. No fruit, cut you off. No fruit, cut you off. But I started studying this. And in Greek, that word that, that in some translations says cuts off is the word Airo. Can you say that? That was very weak, and I'm disappointed in each and every one of you. Can you say it so the online people can hear? Airo. Okay, so it's Iro, but you got to speak with the, you know, got to roll the R, right? Airo. So this word Airo, it means, it does mean to cut off or disconnect, but it also means to lift up. And it's more commonly used as lift up. And so some of the commentaries I was reading, they were saying, that's a more accurate picture of what Jesus does. So they have this, they're talking about this gardener, and he's walking around in his garden. And instead of walking around with a machete, just hacking away, what he does is he looks at each branch, and he decides what that branch needs. And he lifts it up so that I can get more sun or more rain or more, more space or whatever it, can do, whatever it needs. He lifts it up and gives it the care that it needs to produce. And isn't that an accurate picture of who God is? I mean, that's who he's been to me is a God that doesn't come around and say, you messed up again, boom, you're done. But he's a God that comes around and he says, no, let me show you what I've got for you. And he lifts us up and he puts us in a place where we can be successful. I mean, that's the loving father that I want to be to my kids. Not as a dad that walks around and says, you messed up again. But instead to say, hey, man, here's a better way. Let me show you. Let me help you. And so God, as this gardener walks around and he lifts up these branches that aren't producing like they should. And he gives them every opportunity that they can because he cares about them. 
He's not looking for more firewood. He's looking for more fruit. And so he lifts them up. That's a caring father. And then it talks about how he does some pruning. Now, the pruning part, we probably all recognize. Pruning's not enjoyable all the time, right? It, it involves cutting things off. But typically, I'm not a gardener, and I'm not, I'm not a plant person. My wife takes care of the 400 plants that we have in our house. I don't know if yours does the same. But pruning is an important part, I'm told, of growth of the plant, of health of the plant. You prune off things that aren't growing well. You trim pieces that aren't doing things that aren't healthy so that the plant can be healthy. We've got this ficus tree, I think, in our front yard, and the thing grows wild. And every year, my wife comes in and hacks that thing off to where there's just sticks sticking up. And every year, I think, she killed it this year. She did it. it it's, it's done. And every year, it grows back bigger and stronger and fuller. Eventually, we're going to have a problem on our hands. But that doesn't work with this illustration, so forget that part. <laughs> Pruning is an important part of a healthy, taking care of a healthy plant. And the same is true of us. God looks at you and he says, man, I love you just the way you are. You can come to me just as you are with your mess and your mistakes and your struggles and your challenges. Come as you are. I love you right there. But he also says, but I love you so much that I don't want you to stay that way. I've got better for you. I've got more for you. And if you just come as you are, we'll work together. And that's the caring father that I serve. And that's the God that we know. A God that lifts us up and, and wants to make us successful and wants to make us productive. He's good. He has good plans for you. Verse 3 continues on. And Jesus says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And then he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And this word remain, I, I, I preached back in January and this verse was one of my points. And so I thought, sweet, I don't have to study as much. I already studied this part. That's awesome. But I love this word remain, or the, the word for remain. In the, in the King James Version, it uses the word abide, right? I, I don't know. I just, the word abide just grabs me a little more. Like, it just feels like you're at home. I don't know. Maybe it's the connection to the word, like, abode, where we're, we're just, you've got everything that you need. That, that's all you need. And so we, you're just there. And as we do that, as we remain, as we abide in him, he promises to abide in us. And so I had to think, well, what does that mean, to, to abide, to remain in God. What's that look like? And it's, it's really simple. I mean, we know it. It's God's word. That's, that's the first and foremost, the most important thing that you can do in your life is to dedicate your time to spending some of it in God's word. It is his love letter to you. It is your way of understanding who he is and what he's done in the past so you can understand how that applies to your life. God's word should be a priority in each and every one of our lives. Every day. The other is prayer. Prayer. That's our way of communicating with him, of talking with him. A lot of times I go through life and I kind of think, God, you know, I don't, I don't need to tell you. But if I treated anybody else in my life by just assuming that they knew, I don't know that I'd be the very good husband, father, or friend. By just telling my wife, wow, well, she knows I love her. I don't need to tell her. To tell my kids, oh, they know I care for them. I don't need to tell them. I don't need to show them. No, you do. And prayer is our way of communicating with God. 
It's our way of getting in touch with him. And so he speaks to us through his word and we speak to him through prayer and a relationship begins to develop and we begin to abide in him. Another is church. Congratulations, you did that this morning. Way to go. Being here, this is a part of abiding. This isn't just a thing we do, right? It's not just an obligation or the, oh, God, Sunday morning, we got to go. But we're here and we grow together as a body and we go through challenges together and we see God move together and we grow in our faith. Another way is, is serving. As we serve, we abide. We begin to realize that it's less about us and more about others. We begin to act out on the, that what Jesus taught when he said, love God and love people are the two greatest commandments. And so we serve. Slight commercial break. If you're interested in serving in our tech ministry, we would love to have you. We need some help, and we would love for you to jump in. There's also some needs over in Impact. There's needs all over the place. If you're not serving here at Abundant Life Church, but this is your home church, you should be serving here at Abundant Life Church. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Because we're a lot of fun, too, mostly. But also because that's how we abide, is we serve together. And we worship, and we spend time, and God does great things through all of that, and we begin to abide. But, you know, the, the challenge that I found is that it's not that we aren't good at abiding. Our problem is that we tend to abide in the wrong things, right? Like, we become consumed with all kinds of things. I, I will admit, and you're not allowed to judge me for it, that I can tend to become consumed with fantasy football, and I'm so excited about it. Is there anyone else out there that's ready for some fantasy? Nope, just me and Chris. Okay, cool. This example is going to fall on deaf ears then, but hang with me. I love to win. So I want to, come on. I did not win any of my five fantasy football leagues this last year, and so I got some work to do. Shh. There's one with the staff, and I think I got second place. I was a little upset about that. I've got some podcasts that I listen to. Don't judge me. I've got some articles that I like to read. I've got a lot of stuff that I like to learn, and I just enjoy figuring it out and learning who the players are and guessing who's going to do what, and all of that stuff is fun. But I have to be careful because I can find myself becoming consumed with that, right? And I wake up and I think, oh, during the season, I got to make some trades, or I got to pick up this guy, or I got to do this thing, or I got to figure out who's doing what, or what's going to happen. And before I know it, I am abiding in this thing. Now, you all can judge me all you want, but some of you will do it with hobbies that you really enjoy. Some of you will do it with your business that you know needs to grow, and it's a good thing. Some of you will do it with your family, where you're always figuring out, okay, what's the next thing? And all of those, are, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of them, but none of them are we called to abide in like we are Jesus. And so our problem isn't that we're not good at abiding, it's that we're not good at abiding in him unless we intentionally make the choice to do it. But what's fantastic about it is that Jesus promises as we abide in him, he will abide in us. It's a mutual relationship, but he can't abide in us until we make the work and that we make the choice to connect with him. And if we're not going to do it, then that's going to hinder what he can do in us. And so we've got to abide in him. You know, it was interesting. I had a friend of mine the other day, and, or a couple weeks ago, and he called me, and he, he was going through, he had a bit of a health scare. Something wasn't feeling right. And he was like, man, I went and got this checked out, and, and, and I don't know what's going on. He's like, can you just pray for me? Just pray that, that this goes okay. And he was just, just dealing with just fear of the unknown. I mean, that's a scary thing. And got a call from the PA 
from the doctor's office, and he said, you know, his bedside manner, I guess, was pretty bad. And he just said, yeah, it's probably cancer. He's <laughs> just like, what? And, uh, you know, we'll do some more tests. We'll try to figure it out, but, you know, whatever. And they were like, man, what the world? So his wife and, and him were tell, telling me about this, and we're, you know, praying for him. And just, just my prayer is always in situations like that, that God would bring peace, that God would, God would bring peace. Because I think that as believers, as people who trust in Jesus, as people who abide in Jesus, we should have a peace that the world doesn't understand. Like, we should look different when we walk through challenges than anybody else. And when people find out, wait, you're going through that right now, and, and, and you're happy? You're joyful? Like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, because I'm not, I'm not dwelling on what I'm walking through. I'm, I'm abiding in him. And so, so my, my prayer for him was that. And, and, you know, a couple, the day before he was going to get the results, I, I called and I said, hey, how's it going? Like, like, what are you doing? He goes, man, God is so good. And I was like, hmm, that's it. I, I like that response. Now he knows I'm a pastor, so maybe he's giving me the, you know, the, the churchy response. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, God's been so faithful. He goes, I sit there and wake up in the middle of the night and just overwhelmed with fear. And we just cry out to God. And God would meet us right there. And then I go through the day, and it, it would just hit me. And I just continue to pray and continue to trust God. And he said, my faith has grown more in the last couple of months than it has in so long. And God's been so good. And as I think back, I'm thinking, he, he's learning what it is to abide. He's learning what it is to remain in the Lord and for God to remain in him. Next day, he called. They got the results, and he said, no cancer. He said, praise the Lord. I was so excited, so thankful. God was so good. And I said, how are you doing? He goes, man, God's, God's just good. God's just got this. Actually, before they got the results, he said, I'm not even worried about how this goes because I know God's got it either way. And I was like, man, that's what abiding looks like, you know. And, and then he, he had told me that his wife said, well, if you could go back to that PA that kind of scared us, what would you say? And he goes, I tell her, uh, him, her, I don't know who it was. I tell him, thank you. Thank you. I'd smack him in the face. And he goes, he goes it was because of that that, like, I just started leaning on the Lord. Like, I started running to God and, and giving it to him. And because of that, like, God did a work in me. And I was like, that's what abiding looks like, and that's what our life should look like all the time as believers. We're not just called to abide when it's tough. We're called to abide all the time. Number three, the third thing we need to remember is that I am designed for a purpose. I'm designed for a purpose. Verse 5, Jesus continues and he says, Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love, I love how Jesus kind of comes out and says it. Up until now, he's alluded to these branches. He's talked about God cutting some branches, lifting up some branches, doing some things to the branches. But he hasn't said who we are, who the disciples are yet. And I have to think he waited till now to kind of build up the anticipation to see what the disciples would do. Because in my mind, I bet that they're sitting there thinking, right, earlier they had argued about who would sit at Jesus' right and left. They were feeling pretty good about themselves, right? They were the 12 that Jesus picked to walk with him for these last three years. They're a big deal. They've earned some things. And so I wonder if as Jesus is talking, they're talking, you know, I'm the vine. My father's the gardener. These branches, they're like, yeah, those other branches, everybody else, but we're vines. We're vines with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in the garden. We're the vines. And Jesus comes out and he finally says, no, I don't think you guys are getting it. <laughs> yes, I'm the vine. You're the branch. 
So look at your neighbor right now and boldly say, you're a branch. Look at your neighbor on the other side that you avoided so rudely and tell them they're a branch too. Shame on you. You're a branch this morning. You were created to be a branch. You were designed to be a branch. And you have two options when you hear that. You're either thinking, awesome, I get to be a branch connected to the vine that produces fruit, and God's going to work through me, and my responsibility is grab a hold, and God's going to work through me to do awesome things. Or your responsibility is, oh, I don't want to be a branch. Not your responsibility. Your reaction is, I don't want to be a branch. I'm more than a branch. I don't need to be a branch. I can be a vine. I could have people connected to me. I could lead them, and, and they could do great things as they're connected to me. And God says, no, that's not what you're designed for. That's not what you're built for. That's not what I want from you. You are a branch. You're a branch. That's a good thing. You can't handle being a vine. Don't try to be. So God says, you're a branch. And his disciples probably sat there, not sure what to do. Jesus, in that moment, <laughs> thanks, Cade. <laughs> Jesus, in this moment, is not only telling the disciples who they are, but he's reminding them what they're not. You're not the vine. Don't try to be. You're not the gardener. Don't try to be. You're a vessel. And your option is be a vessel that produces something or be a vessel that is worthless. There's no two ways about it. It's not... You can do all of this fruit producing on your own and it will be good or it could be a little better if you connect with me. He says either you connect here and you produce a lot of fruit or you're useless. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a useful branch than a useless vine. I'm a branch. I'm dependent on Jesus. Everything that I do has got to start with me connecting with him. Otherwise, it's useless. You know, I had to, had to think of Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Nobody else? Wondering where I'm going? Preach. Ooh, okay. The money they bring in in six days is more than all the other companies bring in in seven. And it's not just because their chicken's that good. I mean, that's part of it. But I 100% believe that because they choose to use some biblical principles in how they run their business, that God has blessed them. Now it helps that their chicken's great. But I had to think, what if we all chose to do that? What if that's how you ran your business? And maybe you are. God wants to bless you. He wants you to produce fruit. He wants great things to happen through you. His heart is for each and every one of us to be this productive branch that just pumps out fruit. But the only way that happens is if our priorities are first and foremost to connect and abide in Him. We can do all of this other stuff on our own, and it's not worth anything if we're not abiding in Him. And we can do so much more when we do. He says that apart from him, it's nothing. Not, not as good. It's nothing. Then he continues in verse 6, and he says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Either you're useful or you're not. 
and he's, his heart is for each and every one of us to be used. We worship team every Sunday morning that we, we pray, we gather after rehearsal before services start, and every time somebody says in the prayer that God, we surrender to your will, and we just want to be used by you. What we're doing up here has nothing to do with people looking at us, and it has everything to do with us being a mirror that reflects the glory of who God is and what he's done in our lives. So none of this is about Steve, Abundant Life Church, Vernon, or any worship team, or any person that comes up on this platform, but everything that we do, we are here to reflect who God is and what he's done in our lives. And through that, he can do anything he wants. But when we're unconnected, he can't. You know, I think a lot of times we, we go through life, and I think we look at church, and we look at reading the word, and prayer, and worship, and all those things as things that fill us up. And we kind of go through life looking at ourselves like, like we're a cell phone, where I need, to, I need to plug in, fill me up, get me what I need, and now I'll go through the day or go through the week, and I'll drain, 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 until, okay, plug me in, fill me up. Okay, now I can go through my day, drain, drain, drain. But God didn't say we're a cell phone, because they weren't around then. It would have been a terrible illustration. But what he said was, you're a vine, you're a branch. And a branch that is disconnected can't just plug in and unplug whenever it wants to. But if it's unplugged, it's dead. So he said, you've got to abide. You've got to stay. You've got to, you've got to be consumed. You've got to, everything that you do has got to be about me. And as you do that, you're going to do so much more than you could ever imagine. If you'll abide. But it's a choice. It's a choice that we make. We make it daily sometimes. We make it hourly sometimes. That we're going to continue to remain. You know, the other day, my son, he wanted a sleepover. He wanted to have a friend over and we had a pretty rough week. By we, I mean him. And just teasing the girls. And, you know, there's one boy and three, th three daughters I have in our family. And so he's got a lot of sisters. And he likes to pick on them. And I said, buddy, we got to do better at how we behave. You got to earn a sleepover. You can't just have it. And so I said, what we're going to do is we're going to start every day you get two points. You start with two points. You get to 10, you get your sleepover. But... If you disobey, if you're not listening to mom and dad, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're teasing the girls, you're being mean, whatever, you're going to lose a point. It was really slow going for the first couple days. We weren't, weren't gaining traction. We weren't moving forward. We were just breaking even or sometimes going backwards. And over time, he started figuring out that, man, you guys are serious about this, and he wanted that sleepover. And so he started gaining points. And every day, he'd ask, how did I do, dad? How did I do? And I said, buddy, you got your two points today. Way to go. Got to the end. He had his 10 points. I said, buddy, you did it. That's awesome. Like, we'll figure this out. Who's going to come over and all that? And he said, Dad, you know, it seems like it's a lot better when I just listen and do what you want me to do. <laughs> and I just, I kind of did that. And then I said, what? <laughs> and he goes, you know what I said. I said, I know, but do you know what you said? Say it again. It just seems like it's a lot better when I listen to you and, and, and do what you tell me. I said, it's funny, isn't it, buddy? Oh, dad, you know, whatever. And, you know, I said, that's, that's how it is for all of us, right? Like, I can look at my kid and be like, duh, you finally figured it out. And then I look at my walk, right? And I say, oh, is God looking at me often like, hello, come on, make the connection. God's way is designed for our good. That's what I tell my kids all the time. I don't enjoy disciplining you. I don't enjoy taking things from I don't enjoy all of this 
we, if you would just listen and just do, I, I want good for you. I want the best for you. And this is me having to teach you how to do that. And I wonder how many times God is like, I want the best for you. I want good for you. You got you to gotta trust. You got to believe. You got to hang in there. But we got to abide. We got to connect. We got to stay connected. Number four, last thing in your notes is that I am created to give God glory. I'm created to give God glory. Jesus continues in verse 7. And he says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you. There he changes it, right? Up until now it's been you remain in me and I will remain in you. Now he says my words. He's preparing his disciples that he's not going to be here. But he makes the connection that his words are just like him being with us. He says, if my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit. I love that word when. It's not if you produce much fruit. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. That's what you're here for. You're here to bring glory to God, not to yourself, not to your family, not to your business, not to all of the other things that we do when we produce fruit. But our first and foremost, our goal, anything that we should define our lives by is, am I bringing glory to God? That's your divine design. Jesus does two things here. He talks about his words and he talks about prayer. And he puts them in a specific order because the order is important. So often we want to say, God, I'm going to pray a prayer. And God, if you do this thing, then I'll do all this other stuff. But first, you got to come through and you got to do this thing for me. Then if that's the case and you do it, then I will surrender. Then I'll do. And that's not how it works. God says, abide in me. My words will remain in you. They will abide in you. They will grow in you. And my words will begin to change you. It happened to me the other day. I was dealing with one of my kids. I won't say which one. And I was frustrated, and I said, God, you gotta, you got to change their heart. Fix them. Of course, God hit me with that. And I said, God, change my heart. God, change me. Help me to know how to, how to encourage. I'm the adult. Help me to know how to be better. Help me to know. Change me. And you know what? The change me prayer is a prayer that God answers every time. He'll answer that one every time. Because the truth is, I can't control any one of you. I can only control this, and I'm not even any good at that. But God's heart is for us to say a prayer that says, change me. And so as his words abide in us, and as he remains in us, we become more and more like him. And now all of a sudden, instead of praying selfish prayers, we begin to pray prayers that are lined up with his will and his desires and who he is. And those are the prayers that he answers. And so God's heart for you is not to, God doesn't want to just be this genie just giving things out, but God's heart for you is to make you and I more and more like Jesus. But the only way that happens is through his word. And so my challenge to us this morning as we close is that I'd like for you to think about the time you spend in God's word every day and how you can spend a little bit more. And think about the amount of time you spend in prayer every day and how can you spend a little bit more. For some of you, it may be spend some time in prayer and in the Word. And that's okay. Try it this week. Try it. You know, as I've grown in my faith, I've learned that God's a pretty big God. He can handle challenges. And so I've often thought, oftentimes, like, what if I took God at His Word and actually did it? Like, I think sometimes we're scared that God won't come through, and so we're like, oh, we need to protect Him, so we won't try. What if this week you said, I'm going to dig a little deeper, I'm going to pray a little longer? And let's see what God does. What if every one of us did that? 
at Abundant Life Church. What could God do? What would God do in our hearts? How would he remain in us? How would we better abide in him if we just took that next step, that one next thing? And let's see what God does. Because God's plan for you is a good plan. And it's planned for your good and for your peace and for a hope and a future. But his ultimate plan is for him to receive glory because he's worth it. Because it's his garden. He planted it. He grew us. He created us. We are his. We're the creation, not the creator. And so our job is to give God glory in everything that we do. It's not about you. That's a hard word for us to remember. That's a hard word for us to walk out because we're told by everything out there that it is about me, that it's about my truth and it's about my happiness and I need to find my joy and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If this is true for me, then this is all that matters. But Jesus says that's not how it is. That's not how it goes. It's not about you. It's about him. Jesus summed up the entire Old Testament, all of the... All of the principles and all of the commandments, Jesus summarized as love God, love people. Doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about him and them. And so this morning, you're called to give God glory. Let's challenge God. Let's, let's take an extra step. Let's see what he'll do because I think he's ready to do some things. And it takes us grabbing a hold and saying, I'm going to abide in you. No matter what I'm walking through, no matter what challenge I've got in front of me, I'm going to abide in you and you're going to give me what I need because you promised you would. And he's good and he will. Amen?